This episode is brought to you by our incredible community of listener supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon offers listeners exclusive archival content, extended episodes, and access to community conversations diving deeper with past guests. Your monthly pledge ensures that For the Wild has the funding to keep producing informative, thoughtful, and rooted conversations and programming. All funding supports our small team of creatives, podcast production, and special For the Wild projects like our zines and slow study courses. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash for the wild, or if you would rather make a one-time donation or recurring donation outside of Patreon, please visit for the wild.world slash donate. Hello and welcome to For the Wild podcast. I'm Ayana Young. Today we are speaking with Josue Rivas. Like when we talk about a creator or the or creation or creatives. What I what I think, you know, a lot of people use that in social media, right? Like I'm a content creator. I think that it comes back to like, are we really understanding what the word means? Like if we, you know, if you are a creator or that creator is inside of you or that, you know, creation or creative, you know, energies inside of you, then you wouldn't give that away so easily. Josue Rivas is an indigenous futurist, creative director, visual storyteller, and educator, working at the intersection of art, technology, journalism, and decolonization. His work aims to challenge the mainstream narrative about indigenous peoples, co-create with the community, and serve as a vehicle for collective healing. He is a 2020 Catch Light Leadership Fellow, Magnum Foundation Photography and Social Justice Fellow, founder of Indigenea, co-founder of Indigenous Photograph, and curator at Indigenous TikTok. Oh, Josue, this is so lovely and warming to be talking to you after so many years. I still remember the times we shared together at Standing Rock and beyond, and yeah, it's really been wonderful to watch you and your work soar through the world. So thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, um, Ayana. And yeah, uh, it's, it's great to reconnect and um, share story and, you know, just be be present. Mm. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being present is the best gift. So I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, gosh, there's so much to ask you. I really, really appreciated following your work and both your photography and your words over the years. And I want to open by thinking about the practice of art of photography as a distantly creative act. And I just want to hear more about your relationship to the form and perhaps think through some of the words you use when describing your photography practice. Yes, definitely. I think we're in a very important time to tell stories, especially the stories that are our own. So when when I look at the you know as photography and, and visual storytelling you know as a as a medium as a, as a tool almost like a tool for for channeling right it's like how do we how do we tell us tell stories and share stories that are going to live beyond us and things that are going to be hopefully not only remember but listened to I think that so much of um, the process of of making images is knowing that 
your perspective in, in that you know that angle that you that you photograph or that you make or that you show up to a, to a movement that that's going to be complex and it's also going to be meaningful beyond yourself and I think that the camera and and photography and, and now as we're looking into like social media and different forms of storytelling like TikTok like how do we maintain a intention and then also an understanding and awareness of what that image does to our consciousness and to most importantly to our subconscious I think and how does that perpetuate trauma in ourselves how does that perpetuate you know harm but also how can we also use the same thing that that, that is used often against us which is the image in order to heal ourselves or in order to transform ourselves or in order to transcend into a place of peace and rest, you know? Like, yeah, I think that the image is, it's, it's a powerful medium at this time in, you know, in, in our history. Uh, I don't know if I answered the question, but that's, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what yeah. I was feeling. <laughs> no, it's good. It's a good opener. I'm thinking back to a conversation with Atmos magazine and you're saying to them is through that process i learned that what we've been told about photography and the image making process is deeply colonizing it involves a language of capturing or shooting or taking and refers to people as subjects it's the same colonial language people use to describe their treatment of indigenous peoples and other folks from around the world what i've tried to do is shed that energy end quote Mm-hmm. Oh, what a conversation. <laughs> so I'm just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just want to like sit with that with you and explore the language of photography and how that manifests in the way that this medium has been used for, you know, decades. Mm-hmm. You know, during Standing Rock and during that time, it was a pivotal moment for for my own practice, right? Like my own awareness of how am I using this tool? How am I using this? I mean, it really is, I think, a, a necessity for humans to tell a story. I really think that we are constantly like digesting the stories that are told to us, but we hardly ever look within to like share our own story. And um, I remember at Standing Rock, you know, after Standing Rock and, you know, going through this journey of like understanding coherently what I wanted to do with this I had to go back to like my childhood and I had to go back to my father being a photographer who you know was also an alcoholic (laughs) you know what I mean like like we were like I was battling this you know the camera in my own life had an abusive uh, tone to it like when I thought about cameras or I thought about how people were making images or you know taking you know how people say like I was like, yeah, the camera is related to my own father, but also like universally, it's it's that relationship with the patriarchy. You know, it's like, like you know, you look at all the Pulitzer Prize winners for the last like you know forty years, the majority are are, are not women or people of color or you know folks that are you know LGBTQ plus. Like it's it's primarily being told from this place of like a more um, you know standard you know paradigm let's call it that for now but but I think that for me it was like how do I trans I have we have to transform that like we have to transform the 
not only the language, but the way that we use these images. So for me, I had to like forgive my father, you know, and be like, hey, I forgive you for, you know, for being the father that you were, but also for giving, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking you for giving you the gift of photography. And um, after Standing Rock, I went through that journey of me being a father, me seeing how the image uh, that I know was, I was, the images that we were, we were making a Standing Rock, like, you know, I knew they were going to be for a long time, but how does that relate to my son? You know, like, how does that relate to my family? How does that relate to my community? And I had to go through this moment of transformation that I think allow me to look inward and realize that we've been using the camera as a tool for extraction and through that journey of like creating the spaces for indigenous people to tell their own story which is a project that we did um, in 2017 called sending strong we were i was able to realize that i had to like dig into my own story and in that journey i found the language right like i started thinking about how like when I'm making something like photography wise, I, I feel like I'm making something with something bigger than myself. Like it's not about Josue or it's not about like our creative team. It's like, how do we center something bigger than ourselves in the process of making? And in that, in that process, then you realize that you don't want to extract from people that maybe they're not your subjects. Maybe, they, maybe they're sovereign beings that deserve the, the same treatment that for example, a celebrity will get, right? Like, like you start realizing all these things that you're like, wait, hold on. Like we have standards for the way that we treat people with a camera differently. And, and they all come back to extraction. And, and um, yeah, it's almost like extraction and also this sense of like that relationship with their father, you know? And I know, I know that sounds weird, but it's like, it's really, it's true. Like the camera has been in a patriarchal paradigm. And, and we need to like return to like a matriarchal paradigm that it's like co-created, you know, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about the program you did with indigenous storytellers and distinctly, uh, or creating distinctly indigenous photographs and how I, there was an interview you did with Dazed Digital, and you were saying when you work with indigenous people, you have a different set of rules as a journalist because historically, a lot of these communities have been documented and portrayed in a certain way, everything from National Geographic to the pipeline opposition, end quote. So I'd love to hear you talk about what your protocols are and even what the editing process is for you when you shift between different, you know, modes of, you know, location and, and what you're there to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that quote is interesting because I think that um, it's, it's this really deep understanding that, that I'm constantly a guest in, in the places that I am at, you know, and that I am where I'm located to make something that, that I'm a guest there, not only if it's a territorial thing, you know, like different territories for different communities, but that when you say yes to telling a story for someone else or with someone else, that there that the portal for co-creation and collaboration opens up. And in that portal, like things will manifest differently than, than what maybe you're used to or maybe what other people are used to. And that intention of co-creating it's 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 really important in, in in my creative practice and in the way that we do things 
here at Indigena. Because if we know who we're making for, so we have to ask ourselves a question like, you know, who are you making this for? And, and why are you making this? And a lot of times when we are asked to, to tell a story or, or to, you know, co-create with a community, you know, we have like sometimes that, that, you know, that doesn't lock in, right? Like certain things don't lock in and that's where we have to push and, and almost kind of like educate people sometimes and be like, hey, you know, we can't use that person's story and just, you know, share it widely without reciprocating with that community or with, or with those peoples. And a lot of the times what, where we find ourselves is like almost like making new paths of, of how do we reciprocate? How do we co-create? How do we make sure that we do this in every community that we go to? Or in every story, because having protocols are only useful if you if you actually use them and you you know you put them to practice, and they're constantly evolving too. There's you know we just did a project with the city of Portland here where we would paste the the faces of indigenous folks that we co-created with all around the city, and there were some people that were like, hey, like you know can when you know when we put up my photo, can I be there? And can I put it out myself? And we're like, yes, of course, like that's great. And then that was a new learning, right? So it's almost like you're constantly learning that certain communities want things a certain way and, and that you have to be flexible with, with the ways that you make. And then also that that's actually inform the way that, that we're making in the future, which I think is collaboration. I really believe that very soon we're gonna realize that, for example, TikTok or Instagram or all these different tech companies that are constantly using our own image, like literally that's like our energy. They're using it without us being able to have that, you know, that conversation with ourselves, like who am I doing this for and why am I doing this? Like every time that I post something on Instagram, I literally ask myself those questions and then I have a, a very clear intention and then, and then I let it go because I know that it's out of my control. But I think that having that awareness, it's another thing that, you know, when it comes to our protocols, um, it's important to, to have is, is knowing that we can still make things that are, you know, that are hard to swallow sometimes, you know, or like, you know, partnering up with a brand, like, hey, how do you do that? And can you still do it in a way that fits our protocols? And a lot of the times, to be honest, it doesn't. Like, it's not in the DNA of commerce and capitalism to reciprocate with community. You know, it's like, it's quite the opposite. So sometimes we have to step away from, from projects or, or say, hey, thank you so much for thinking of us. But, you know, if we cannot meet these basic standards, like we, we, you know, we won't be able to, to go create with you. So some, those are some of the protocols. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, gosh, there's so many pieces to this. But thinking about social media when you brought that up, and there, there's a few things to explore here, but one, what you're saying, or I think what you're saying about these tech, multi-billion dollar com tech companies taking our energy, taking our creations, and in, I guess, a way owning them even, because once we put those images on their apps or websites, we kind of give away our power to them and they can be used against us uh they can be used to sell us things to find out information you know all sorts of stuff mm -hmm. and i think it's not always 
an everyday uh, process for us to think through what we're really doing when we're posting images. But it's also challenging because, of course, that's kind of become the modus operandi of connection, especially when you don't live near family or friends or when you're trying to build up your brand as a creative because you want to support yourself with something that you're passionate about. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. really complicated. And I'd love to hear how you wrestle with that or what are um, some of the challenges that you face when you're wanting to use these platforms for mm-hmm. yourself for good, but knowing that there's kind of sinister uh, underpinnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh... I think I think it comes down to the energy that is spent on on you know on having a social media presence or having an internet-based presence for you know for a business or for even like people that are trying to you know make make ends meet, right? Like there's people that that is their job. Like like I, I met people who, who they're like, oh yeah, my whole job is I'm a TikToker. And I'm like, like, is that is that real? And it's like, oh yeah, it is like literally their whole day schedule is around building this business and this character that is on TikTok and that is like sharing, you know, different different things, right? I think it comes back to this idea of the creator. And I, and, and I, you know, I can speak on this and this, you know, in your podcast because I think the audience is going to understand this a little more, but like, like when we talk about the creator or the or creation or creatives, what I what I think, you know, a lot of people use that in social media, right? Like I'm a content creator. I think that it comes back to like, are we really understanding what the word means? Like if we, you know, if you are a creator or that creator is inside of you or that, you know, creation or creatives, you know, energies inside of you, then you wouldn't give that away so easily. Like if we really understood that whatever energy is coming through us in order to be alive and, you know, be coherent and, you know, have a personality and all these different traits that like make up this reality. Like if that is inside of us, then why are we giving it away so quickly? And why are we giving it away in a way that is basically um, being sold back to us? Like, so, so, so with, with, you know, there's that extreme of, of how I see that. And there's also, like for example, indigenous TikTok, which is this 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 uh, page that I've been curating for like a year and a half. Like during the pandemic, I just started like like asking other people if I can share their TikToks, and then we created this page, indigenous TikTok. Then then you look at that, and and honestly, like that's been the I learned so much about how people operate on social media based on this page because what you realize very quickly is that a, a post, especially now that are reels, right, like. A post will do so well if there's conflict. Like the engagement will go up so much more if there's conflict. And it has to come from someone, especially like a lot of times it's like, you know, someone just like making a racist comment and then being like, from there, the whole, the whole, like people start fighting. I kind of picture it like all these people are fighting in this like circle in the middle of town and everyone's like getting, it's getting bigger because there's a group of people. And then you look at the other type of, you know, stuff that is put up and we looked at that through indigenous TikTok of, you know, things that are more, that are really centered on peace, right? They're like more peaceful, more, it's not about like right or wrong or, you know, shaming others. Like, I you know a lot of times, like, you know, when there's like that, like, you know, people talking about other cultures and being like, 
But those people are like, usually usually TikTok wants you to do that. And Reels, they want you to do that. They want you to create conflict right away in your post. And, and it's literally on their guidelines, right? It's like, if you want more engagement, like these are the tricks, you know? And it's also like, it, what we learn is that if, if there's positive messages or there's, you know, if there's no conflict involved, then the, the post won't do as well. So for me, what I realized then, it was like, it's knowing that these things are not going to be there forever. Like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It doesn't matter how many, you know, how much money you make from like posting TikToks and Reels. Like, it comes down to the fact that that is another channel, just like the camera, right? It's another channel and it's being used for extraction. And, and at the bottom line, it's not going to put us into, into the future that we can co-create together for us to be able to belong on earth in a good way. Like, so when these things are gone, where did that conflict go? You know, like, like when, when, when a post is like a thousand comments because people are fighting over like something that someone said or someone something that someone mis, mis, misread. Like I heard so, I see so many times where like people comment something and then someone takes it the wrong way, but they're actually in the same page and then go off for like 50 comments on fighting and then come to realize that they actually were in the same page. And then you're like, wait, hold on. This is not real life. But why are we treating it like it is? And it has, it has to do with the fact that we are being extracted from, that our spirit is being sucked out every time we, we post something. And if you're aware of it, like sometimes I think about this, like, man, I'm about to post this, but one, like, you know, someone's going to misrepresent this or like misinterpret it, or, you know, is this going to create conflict? Like, like I, I stopped sharing stuff that is like extreme anymore, like, like from both sides. I just started like using social media as, this is a great way for people to hear a tiny bit, like a glimpse of who I really am. And then I also know that I, like, I'm actually interested in it. Like, I actually love to throw, like, glitches at it and, like, throw, like, little, like, I like to throw a glitch in the matrix a little bit with social media. But anyways, I don't know the answer to the questions, but I think it, comes, it just comes back to that idea. It's like, it's not about the tool, it's how we use it. And imagine if everyone got off of social media for a day. How much money would that lose for, like, Instagram or TikTok, like that would be millions of dollars if we just don't engage. <laughs> like if you're just like, I'm not gonna engage and I'm just gonna step away from this. Um, but we won't do it because we're, we're, I think we're still enamored with the idea of social media. I just had this vision uh, and maybe I'd seen it in a movie or something, but it's like all of us humans are going around with this kind of uh, like zombie brainwash 
connected to the computer or something and then all of a sudden it disappears and then we're like standing on the earth not really knowing where we are or who we are or what we do next but we do we will there will be something else like i think sometimes when we get wrapped up in these addictive uh habits it can feel like well what would we do without instagram like we'd be bored we what what would we do if we didn't have these outlets for connection and i think what we'd learn is that there's so much more connection to be had that's probably more meaningful more impactful more effective for what we or how we want to be with the earth and with each other but yeah i i like how you said enamored i think that's a really good word too and I, I see that for us and it really just makes me think more about extraction and it's it's hard because um you know a lot of us aren't extracting in the sense of fossil fuel extraction for our income but like we've talked about photography can be extractive honestly every single way to make money can be extractive and in a sense has an extractive foundation to it because that's how our financial capitalist system is set up. And so I think it's really fascinating uh, the work that you've been doing with bigger brands. And it's a tricky subject and that's why I want to hear you talk about it because I think it's important for us to understand how we well, how do I say this? Because like, there's like this binary where it's like, this is good, this is bad. And mm -hmm. it's really easy for us to judge things, especially with social media. It's really easy to, to create conflict out of everything, even though we're all implicated in it together. But mm -hmm. I think maybe our brains just want to be able to categorize something. But of course, things are more complex. Our lives are more multidimensional. Um, so I know I'm like going in a roundabout with this question, but I guess when I think about creatives and large brands and how it's not a perfect relationship, but it's not to say there's not something worthy in those partnerships. And so mm -hmm. I just want to explore how you've been able to navigate the terrain as an indigenous artist, photographer, working with corporations and where you see the trouble in that, where you see the growth in that and what your experiences have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for, for, for that. Um, you know, maybe it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good question, to be honest. Like, I think we need to talk about this more in in spaces that are, um, yeah, that sometimes we can we can get really extreme of our views, you know, like on on, on all sides, you know. And I think that um, what I'm learning more and more is that there is there is people in these corporations. <laughs> like there's actual like that's one thing that it was hard for me to understand at first, you know, like especially after standing rock, like how do you go from like doing that work and then going into like a personal practice with a lot of like personal stories to like you know, sitting in a room with like 20 different executives from a really big corporation and them telling you that your work kind of sucks. <laughs> like, how do you go, how do you like manage all that and still like do the work? And I think that we have to stop being afraid of talking about spirit in creativity. And what I mean by that is that 
we we again the whole thing with the creator or the creation or the creatives you know um is within us like if we if we have that at the center of, of our practice whatever our practice is whether it is making a, a great podcast or you know making an image or directing a music video making a commercial which is you know again it's like it's you know most people will be like oh my god you know there's a corporate entities and it's like yeah but how do we how do we show up with that creation within ourselves and, and let that be the driver and let that be the the guide even when you have to deal with a corporation and i think that that's what i'm what i'm still learning to be honest but so far there's been you know opportunities that, that we literally just they just don't align and and when we find those opportunities that don't align we like to learn why, you know, it's like, oh, so we didn't do that. Or they, they say no to this because, because we actually said the truth or we actually stated things that were, um, you know, that were challenging, you know, the, the structure or the, or the intention of a corporation. And I think that that's totally okay. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with not being invited to another, you know, next, you know, diversity thing at this like corporation. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that because I'm not making it for them. Whenever I go and make stuff with brands, it's we're making that for the community. Like that's our that's that's who we want to make sure that feels good about the things that we're doing. And that's really hard too, because community is a completely different thing, right? You're dealing with a corporation, then you're dealing with community, which is also complex. It's not like easy, it's not like you know, perfect, you know, all the time. So if we can focus on our guide towards the community, then the community informs you you know, of, of what they like and what they want. Um, right now, obviously, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, indigenous stories from North America, but, you know, as we as we grow, like, I want people to just reach out to me because they want to tell human stories. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but but it will be the same thing. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, can you meet these basic things which are centered around the community and coming back to the community? Because you're going to use it to go sell your shoe or sell your T-shirt but you have to actually reciprocate with the community in a way that makes sense for them. Now that makes sense for you, but like, you know, like I remember seeing this photographer who is really famous photographer who, who photographs like indigenous tribes around the world. And we were on a panel together and asked him the question. I was like, Hey, like, so, you know, how do you pay back this folks? Like you're selling these books for like $900, you know, that are like, has the faces and the people in it. And he, he's like, well, they don't really accept money. They don't, they don't care about money, you know? So, I'll, you know, I'll bring them, you know, I'll bring them gifts. And, and I was like, yeah, but are you sure they don't want to money? Like, and it's kind of questioning a little bit. And then I realized that it's, it's what works for the, per it's like that history is never told from the perspective of, of the oppressed. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, how do we, how do we make sure that these corporations are telling stories and honoring the communities that they want to work with and, and also like not be reactionary and this comes back to the whole thing about language, and this comes back to the whole thing about why do we send people to war to photograph and not send them to make like work about peace? You know, it's like we have a war photographer award, but we don't have a peace photographer award. Like it just comes back to that idea that conflict, it's what feeds the algorithm and it's what feeds the corporation. You know, it has to be an Adidas to a Nike, like because it's conflict and it's gonna make all of them more money. And it's like I remember showing up, I mean, I don't know if somebody will hear this from Adidas or Nike, but I remember showing up to like a Nike thing, like 
wearing Adidas. And I was like, what is a big deal? You know, it's, it's my shoe. Like, that's what I'm wearing today. And then I realized, oh, it is a big deal to them because all they care about is, is how they're perceived. So they can keep selling stuff. No shade on any of them, but I just think it's kind of silly, you know? And like, sometimes sometimes we'll say things, not, not say things like that, but like, we'll, we'll show up to places and the community will have very specific needs or requests that might seem like out of, like they might seem weird to like a brand. And then we're like, well, to you that's weird, but to the community, that's actually what they need, you know? And that's why the, this is a specific community. Um, and then the whole thing about reaction and, and, and being proactive is that in 2020, I have a friend who works for, um, who has a consultancy you know, agency that consults brands about like diversity and race and all these different things. And he's, you know, he's African-American and he was like, hey, um, we're talking about like his, his growth and stuff like that. Like the growth went like 300% growth through the George Floyd thing, you know? And it was like, he was really disappointed because he was like, I've been knocking on these doors for like years. And like, not until someone dies, like will they care about, you know, putting their, their black square. And that's another thing that, that I think is huge with our, with our you know, with our work and, and my personal practice is that I don't want to wait until there's a, like, you know, tragedy happening to indigenous peoples for us to tell indigenous stories. Like, like, like we have to be so much more proactive and I think that's what we're trying to do. So that even though that Instagram will be there, TikTok will be there, these big corporations will be there, we're a step ahead. We're, we're into the future, you know? Like I'm a futurist at heart. Like I want to, I want to like plant seeds for like trees that I won't get to. You know, to sit on. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and I think that that's um, that's a big part of of us, you know, challenging these corporations, but then also not being afraid to get in there and be like, oh, that's interesting that you have these ideas. There's like not a lot of percentage of people that will give you different ideas. I see why. Okay, so maybe you need to probably bring different voices here. You know, like like that still happens in corporations. Like we're like there's not one person from that thing that they're talking about. And you're like, wait, like nobody, nobody thought about the fact that like you're all talking about like, you know, a story centered around women. There's no women in the room. Like, <laughs> you know, and like, and like, so we we have to be way ahead and we have to be clear about our agreements. And and sometimes it doesn't it doesn't work out. And that's totally okay. Like there's, you know, there will always be a Native American Heritage Month every year. And then people will be waiting to make their content you know, from their content creators. It's like, it's just really interesting to me. We just react instead of being like, how can we build and how can we vision together? Mm -hmm. It's tricky because working with these corporations is can be problematic in the sense that there's a real miss in value alignment. And at the same mm -hmm. time, they reach so many people. And if we are trying to shift culture, it seems like we need to take every angle possible because, mm -hmm. you know, the sad fact is, is these corporations really impact people on so many levels, but like the psyche and you think about kids growing up and how children are conditioned and their belief systems are formed based off corporate ads. So... Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if we don't get in there, um, we're missing out on a huge 
opportunity to potentially shift culture or at least move something forward, like what you were saying with representation, to create stories or to create, yeah, like conditioning to buy something for a group of people, but those people aren't represented. It's, It's like it just keeps perpetuating a type of control that um, I, I know a lot of us are trying to break. And this kind of leads me to this question of what comes after decolonization. And mm-hmm. I really am wondering, like, how do we make decolonization a rooted and tangible process rather than an ephemeral ideal that's omnipresent, but only ever treated as a metaphor? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to just riff with you on that for a bit yeah man decolonization do you remember the first time you heard the word oh gosh like 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 when like i I mean i'm trying to think about mine but like like the first time you heard like the word like decolonization and where you heard it from Mm -hmm. i can't remember the exact moment but i remember a type of excitement probably Mm -hmm. because like to me i always think about that it's like you know, I, I for me it was I think it was like 17, 17-ish, and I was um I was working to help um undocumented students in, in Orange County um tell the story about DACA and the Dream Act. I don't know if you remember that it's like trying to give a trying to give a, a path to citizenship to to youth that came here with their parents uh, as young kids. Um and I remember people were talking about that, right? And they were like, you know, they colonize, they colonize. And then, and then growing up in, in a, you know, like a Mexican, you know, community and a lot of, you know, a lot of indigenous, um, yeah, it's like rooted in indigeneity, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of the ways that we, we live and, you know, that, but then also like, I was like, what does decolonization mean when it comes to the church? You know, like, it's like, how do you, how do you decolonize from Catholicism? And so I started kind of going into that path. And I remember very clearly when, I realized that decolonization, it's actually, it starts with you. That is not an external thing, but rather it's part of it's part of the darkness and the shadow of ourselves. It, and it's almost like I used to be afraid of being colonized. Like I used to be afraid of like having colonizing thoughts or colonizing like habits, you know, like especially growing up like Catholic, especially growing up like, you know, very, um, yeah, like, it's just like a very macho culture, you know, like, it was like, and I remember thinking that 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 part of our culture, that part of ourselves, and that part of myself had to be, instead of fearing it, I have to be curious about it. And I think that's, I think I'll say like, that's, that's the moment where I really understood the word, or, or the meaning behind the word, or the, the idea, it was that that yeah, my, my the way that I live this life is going to affect people in the future and people in the present as well. And he, and he also can transform uh, energy from the past, that, that I am past, present, and future, all in one. And that decolonization, it's part of that, that is part of the complexity of, of, of myself and, it, and also the complexity of a community or the complexity of like a relationship with a corporation, you know, like it's 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 not just like it doesn't have to be this or this. It can be this and this. And I think that's when I realized a lot of the 
a lot of yeah, a lot of these thoughts about the collective act of decolonizing, especially through storytelling. Um, and I think there's a future. I'm telling you, like, like we're gonna realize one day, like, yo, like, I feel so drained by Instagram or TikTok or this next thing that I need to do because everyone else is doing it, and we're gonna return. At least the, the ones that the, you know that, that are gonna take that path, but we're gonna return to like hugging a tree or like listening to to the ocean. You know, it's like I know this sounds like out there, but I think people. And, and this is just my own belief and my own hope, you know, is that people realize that they don't need an external medium in order to, to be okay with themselves and to like decolonizing is that it's like being okay with who you are and also taking action to taking action to be curious and and like plant those seeds for the future. You know, it's like how do you how do you do that? Knowing that you're not even gonna be there, like. Knowing that the way that I, you know, that I approach my sons, like, you know, disappointment about soccer, like that that's gonna affect like his great grandkids, because my son's gonna like remember my reaction. Or when we go make a, you know, tell a story and the way that you make people feel when you make their imaging, you know, you create something beautiful, that that's gonna like ripple into the effect that they're gonna feel great about themselves and maybe a little transform and then from there they're gonna affect their community. You know, it's like, it's it's all about having that self-awareness and being okay with, being okay with being in the process of doing things, not being like, you know, I'm already decolonized, because, you know, because I, I don't think anyone really is, you know, like even, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's a question for you. It's like, do you think like there is such thing as like being fully decolonized and just like perfect? Or do you think that, or do you think that like, it's almost like a journey that you have to do your whole life? I would say the latter. I think it is a process. I mean, not to equate it to enlightenment, but I don't think it's something that we can just grab and hold stagnant and think that we've done it. And I think that's part of the pressure of it is that, in at least in the Western reductionist mind, we've really been taught to think that if we follow a certain protocol then we'll have achieved whatever it is that we're going for. And if we just follow these rules, then therefore we get to the top of something. And in, in a sense, like that is an antithesis of being present or like even, even the idea of, of being present and decolonization, which I think they're connected, it's something to tap into every single day and i think that you know especially with decolonization if we try to put these ideals of perfection and purity on that not only are we missing the point but i think we're really setting people up to fail because mm. we live within the system that makes it nearly impossible so in a sense like anything we're doing to reconnect and to be aware should be celebrated mm -hmm. and not told like it's not enough as much as I wish we could do a hell of a lot more. Like I really do. I really wish we could be faster and more effective in our healing. But, you know, I just don't see us being able to heal in such um, like firm 
walled spaces <laughs> or or like I, I don't see that as I don't I don't witness that in myself or others as the way we heal or the way we become whole. So I don't know if that answers the question. Maybe that was a little too tangential, but yeah. No, no. I mean, it's, it touches on a lot of good points about like the the journey being being educational and almost almost like you learn from you learn from the feedback and from the the you know the challenges that 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 you know that arise in your in your decolonization process and also like they become opportunities right of of um, transformation I think I, because it really comes down to like you know we we're talking about earlier but like the the, the camera I believe it's like a transformational tool <laughs> like like I really think that like when if when you see yourself like when I see myself in photos I can either feel really bad about myself and like mean to myself or I can be like oh like you know that looks you know that looks like me like 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 the camera is that reflection and the opportunity to reflect and also in my opinion like uh transform which i think the colonization is transformation you know it's like um in the transformation process can take a long time so if you make an image and you have an image of that moment of that person or that space then that can remind us because i think it's about remembering too like who we are like like we're these like beautiful beings that are like on this tiny little rock going through space. Like they get to have like podcasts and you know, you know, lattes and stuff like that. And you know, get to go and hug a tree. Like, like we're not, I think we we forget often how powerful really are storytellers as, as creators, you know. Um and that's why I, that word bothers me so much when they use it on on TikTok. It's like, it's like if you only understood what that meant, it's like it's like you would like you would not feed it in the way that you feed it, like you will be more protective about your energy, you know? Um, but I, but I did think that like the camera, it's, 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 it's a great tool. And then, I mean, we can get into like AR and VR, but like, you know, that's just an extension of, yeah, it's an extension of the attempt to try to make us make sense of ourselves and remember, but it's, but it's, but it's, in my opinion, it's corrupted. Like, like a lot of the times these technologies can be useful for, for certain things, but they can also like, you know, they're in the, in the hands of corporations, I think that they get um, misused to, to, you know, to create a, a crooked, not even crooked, but let me find the right word. Uh, it's like not, not the reality of who we really are, you know, that we're powerful. And that sometimes when I go on social media, I just feel like, after like you know scrolling or whatever, like I feel like man, like I feel I don't feel I feel like my power was just taken away from me. I need to recover that, you know. And so that's why lately I just been kind of like I just been like using it as a tool to like share a little bit of the process and you know the things that are happening. But uh, I guess I'm like decolonizing is less transforming my relationship with social media, you know, and my relationship with technology, like. Um, and I think we all have, we're going to have to, that's the, that's the messed up part is that one day we're going to have to, there's going to be no choice. It's going to be like, you either choose to not engage with this in the way that you've been engaging, which I think for a lot of people is going to be too late. And you can also, <laughs> you know, choose to like, just go away from it and, and 
And yeah, just, just like what what if you know what are the teachings of the trees? You know, what are the teachings of the plant? What are the teachings of the animals that are actually right there? Like you don't need that, you know, there's no you don't see an ego and they're like, oh my God, I go and I go check out their profile, or like you know, make sure that their status is, you know, and I can check out their status, like like that's not how nature works. So social media and technology are are natural attempts to make make us have a sense of self. thinking about your work with sanctuary cities and gentrification and in your yes magazine piece you write documenting this sanctuary city also represented a return to places that i knew in my youth end quote so i'd just love to hear more about your journey and the process of documenting what that was for you and Mm -hmm. just more about your role as photographer and yeah, what brought you here, led you to this mm-hmm. work? Yeah, um, so so like I shared earlier, like my dad, you know, my dad was a photographer. My mom was also a photographer. Um, so I grew up kind of seeing a lot of these, like almost like interactions, because my, my mom and my dad used to do a lot of like weddings and like uh, baptisms. We, we live in, in Mexico, in uh, Guanajuato, Mexico. And... So I grew up seeing a lot of that and also like this is the dynamic of my mom and my dad and how my dad was like, my dad was always giving away the photos that he, that he was supposed to be selling. <laughs> like he was, he was notorious for that. Like these people didn't have enough money or, you know, somebody was like, Hey, give me like two for one, you know, like he'll just do it. Um, so that would like create a like, conflict between my mom and my dad. And I remember though, also having a teaching where, uh, as I got older, I realized that everywhere we went, we will be fed every single time. Like we will go to different like you know pueblos around our area, and everybody knew my dad because he had you know at some point probably given them like free photographs. Um, so now in retrospect, you know, it's like uh, I think getting older when I first came to the United States when I was eleven, you know, I was battling a lot of that, right? Like this relationship with photography, this relationship with you know migrating to a place that that was culturally and energetically like like very different but also very um it was like um, like america was defined in my mind like oh america is this you know the united states is this you know we in spanish we say el norte you know like the north the north is like this you know um and then realizing as i got older when like my early 20s um the power of of plant medicine to help me find my place in this place and help me transform my wounds 
from the relationship with my father and transform the wounds of my relationship with the camera. You know, it was, it was, I was a young man, you know, just, you know, early 20s, transforming and then realizing that transformation is healing, that in that process of me accepting that, my father calls me for the first time in like 10 years. And he's like, hey, you know, I miss you. Like, I want to apologize for, you know, for growing up, like, you know, in the way that you did. Um, unfortunately, when I was young, you know, seven to 11, I was I was houseless. So I live, I live on the streets in Mexico. And yeah, like, I think he just felt, felt, you know, that energy from that ceremony that he, he like apologized. And then he said, I'm going to send you my camera. Like I literally have it right behind me right now. Like it's my dad's camera. And he's like, I'm going to send you this camera without him knowing anything. Like, you know, so I, so I don't say that the camera that I, that I picked up the camera, I think that the camera picked me up, you know, because now this thing that I was using and I realized later on that wherever I put my lens, like that thing would amplify. And you know, like learning on like, what do I want to amplify? You know, like, how do I want to use this, this gift, this, this medicine that, that, that was given to me through my father, through that lineage of storytellers to use it for learning and transformation. And, and then I realized that as I was telling my story more, especially after Standing Rock, you know, I was like exploring my own self, my own narratives that, that I had within myself and my complexities, then then I started seeing like, oh, if you just set it up for other people to do that down on their own, like if you can give a camera to young young people and tell them, hey, you tell me what you, what's important to you. Like all of a sudden you start expanding and almost like opening this portal for people to transform themselves. <laughs> like it was, it's as simple as that. It's like when we have the opportunity to tell a story with intention and not just like take a selfie or like do like a really random dance on like, a, you know, at Walmart, like, when we actually are intentional about it and we're like using it, then, then that thing amplifies us and amplifies our ancestors and the future generations as people will never meet. Um, so anyways, so through this journey, I, you know, I ended up in, in, in Orange County, you know, when I was 21. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, going back to, to, to Orange County in California and Santana, which was a city that, you know, I grew up in, it was part of that transformational energy, that healing energy to, to see it differently because I think that, um, you know, knowing that I'm not from here, meaning that I'm not from here based on, on the, you know, the, the lens of an American lens, you know, like a colonized lens, you know, to that degree, you know what I mean? Um, but, but, but that my people's, and, and all of our peoples throughout this continent have been engaging and sharing with each other since time immemorial that, you know, the Turtle Island is, is really, you know, Anahuac, Anahuac, which is like our, what we call Turtle Island, it's like, like that I am from here, you know, and, and that I'm meant to tell these stories and that I'm meant to connect with these relatives and that I am meant to learn and, and, and like share my gift, which is, you know, happens to be like storytelling, especially with visuals um, and to co-create with people. And, and now I'm at a space where, you know, I know that it's, it's, I just know that there's a generation of storytellers, especially with indigenous storytellers that, are, that, is, that is coming up that um, is gonna completely shift the way that we see ourselves and the way that people see us. And 
And then I, my hope, and like literally this is like my hope, and I, and I pray this about this a lot, is that we realize that it's not just indigenous peoples that that can like allow us to return back to like a more earth-based life. That that we have to collaborate. Like literally, collaboration is key for the next phase of humanity in this next paradigm. And if we don't collaborate with each other and we don't respect each other's like you know, ways that we speak to each other when we're making an image or, you know, if the way that we recipro reciprocate with people, make sure that they're taken care of financially as well, you know, that you pay them, you know, like pay people, you know, like if we, if we can realize that we do all these things intentionally now, then when the tragedy happens, then we won't react to the tragedy. And then we'll be equipped and almost like we're learning from each other so much that that will not only like overcome the tragedy and, 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 and almost like be advanced, you know, <laughs> ahead of it, but also that is gonna set the next generation so much better. If I, if I can heal myself and I can find a place of healing within my own story, then those descendants are gonna be recipients of that one day. Like if I can deal with my own trauma and my own wounds, intergenerational wounds, and then and I, at the very least attempt to, to heal them and transform them, then I know that there will be people in the future that are gonna look back and be like, oh yeah, like my grandpa did this and this and this, or or might have this photo book from my grandpa, who, he left it behind me, you know, and like I'll probably do some like weird like AR, VR so they can see me like in Star Wars or something, <laughs> so they can actually see me. Um, but but then like you know, like you'll be able to share those stories. Like, I'm gonna be an ancestor one day. Like that's that trips me out, you know. That I, like one day I won't be here, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, what what did you leave behind? What were those messages? What was what was the healing process like for you, Josue? So that we can learn from that and know where we come from, so that we know where we're going. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. mm. That's, sweet. that's a long you. that's a long answer. <laughs> no, but it was it was a great one, and I really appreciate your time with us today, and I look forward to watching and learning and seeing what you create thank you thank you appreciate that and thank you for having me today thank you for listening to for the wild podcast the music you heard today was by gerardo vaquero julio quinto the mysterious day and maria jose montijo for the wild is created by ayana young erica ekram Francesca Glassbell, and Julia Jackson. 